Section 4 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. In this condition we lived upwards of a year, but all of us began to be very much tired of it, and whatever came of it resolved to attempt an escape. We had furnished ourselves with no less than three very good canoes, and as the monsoons or trade winds generally affect that country, blowing in most parts of this island one six months of a year one way, and the other six months another way, we concluded we might be able to bear the sea well enough. But always, when we came to look into it, the want of fresh water was the thing that put us off from such an adventure. For it is a prodigious length, and what no man on earth could be able to perform without water to drink. Being thus prevailed upon by our own reason, to set the thoughts of that voyage aside, we had then but two things before us. One was to put to sea the other way, viz. west, and go away for the Cape of Good Hope, where, first or last, we should meet with some of our own country ships, or else to put for the mainland of Africa, and either travel by land or sail along the coast towards the Red Sea, where we should, first or last, find a ship of some nation or other that would take us up, or perhaps we might take them up, which, by the by, was the thing that always ran in my head. It was our ingenious cutler, whom ever after we called Silversmith, that proposed this, but the gunner told him that he had been in the Red Sea in a Malabar sloop, and he knew this, that if we went into the Red Sea, we should either be killed by the wild Arabs, or taken and made slaves of by the Turks, and therefore he was not for going that way. Upon this I took occasion to put in my vote again. Why, said I, do we talk of being killed by the Arabs, or made slaves of by the Turks? Are we not able to board almost any vessel we shall meet with in those seas, and instead of their taking us, we to take them. Well done, pirate, said the gunner, he that had looked in my hand, and told me I should come to the gallows. I'll say that for him, says he, he always looks the same way. But I think of my conscience, it is our only way now. Don't tell me, says I, of being a pirate. We must be pirates, or anything to get fairly out of this cursed place. In a word, they concluded all, by my advice, that our business was to cruise for anything we could see. Why then, said I to them, our first business is to see if the people upon this island have no navigation, and what boats they use, and if they have any better or bigger than ours, let us take one of them. First, indeed, all our aim was to get, if possible, 
a boat with a deck and a sail, for then we might have saved our provisions, which otherwise we could not. We had, to our great good fortune, one sailor among us, who had been assistant to the cook. He told us that he would find a way how to preserve our beef without casket or pickle, and this he did effectually by curing it in the sun, with the help of saltpetre, of which there was great plenty in the island, so that, before we found any method for our escape, we had dried the flesh of six or seven cows and bullocks, and ten or twelve goats, and it relished so well that we never gave ourselves the trouble to boil it when we ate it, but either broiled it or ate it dry. But our main difficulty about fresh water still remained, for we had no vessel to put any into, much less to keep any for our going to sea. But our first voyage being only to coast the island, we resolved to venture, whatever the hazard or consequence of it might be, and in order to preserve as much fresh water as we could, our carpenter made a well athwart the middle of one of our canoes, which he separated from the other parts of the canoe, so as to make it tight to hold the water, and covered so as we might step upon it. And this was so large that it held near a hogshead of water very well. I cannot better describe this well than by the same kind which the small fishing boats in England have to preserve their fish alive in, only that this, instead of having holes to let the salt water in, was made sound every way to keep it out. And it was the first invention, I believe, of its kind for such a use. But necessity is the spur to ingenuity, and the mother of invention. It wanted but a little consultation to resolve now upon our voyage. The first design was only to coast it round the island, as well to see if we could seize upon any vessel, fit to embark ourselves in, as also to take hold of any opportunity which might present for our passing over to the main, and therefore our resolution was to go on the inside or west shore of the island, where, at least at one point, the land stretching a great way to the northwest, the distance is not extraordinary great from the island to the coast of Africa. Such a voyage, and with such a desperate crew, I believe was never made, for it is certain we took the worst side of the island to look for any shipping, especially for shipping of other nations, this being quite out of the way. However, we put to sea, after taking all our provisions and ammunition, bag and baggage on board, we had made both mast and sail for our two large periaguas, and the other we paddled along as well as we could. But when a gale sprung up, we took her in tow. We sailed merrily forward for several days, meeting with nothing to interrupt us. We saw several of the natives in small canoes catching fish, and sometimes we endeavored to come near enough to speak with them, but they were always shy and afraid of us, making in for the shore as soon as we attempted it. 
till one of our company remembered the signal of friendship which the natives made us from the south part of the island, viz. of setting up a long pole, and put us in mind that perhaps it was the same thing to them as a flag of truce to us. So we resolved to try it, and accordingly the next time we saw any of their fishing boats at sea, we put up a pole in our canoe that had no sail and rowed towards them. As soon as they saw the pole, they stayed for us, and as we came nearer, paddled towards us. When they came to us, they showed themselves very much pleased, and gave us some large fish, of which we did not know the names, but they were very good. It was our misfortune still that we had nothing to give them in return, but our artist, of whom I spoke before, gave them two little thin plates of silver, beaten, as I said before, out of a piece of eight. They were cut in a diamond's square, longer one way than the other, and a hole punched at one of the longest corners. This they were so fond of that they made us stay till they had cast their lines and nets again, and gave us as many fish as we cared to have. All this while, we had our eyes upon their boats, viewed them very narrowly, and examined whether any of them were fit for our turn. But they were poor, sorry things. Their sail was made of a large mat, only one that was of a piece of cotton stuff fit for little, and their ropes were twisted flags of no strength. So we concluded we were better as we were, and let them alone. We went forward to the north, keeping the coast close on board for twelve days together, and, having the wind at east and east-southeast, we made very fresh way. We saw no towns on the shore, but often saw some huts by the waterside upon the rocks, and always abundance of people about them, who, we could perceive, run together to stare at us. It was as odd a voyage as ever man went. We were a little fleet of three ships, and an army of between twenty and thirty as dangerous fellows as ever they had amongst them, and had they known what we were, they would have compounded to give us everything we desired to be rid of us. On the other hand, we were as miserable as nature could well make us to be, for we were upon a voyage, and no voyage. We were bound somewhere, and nowhere. For though we knew what we intended to do, we did really not know what we were doing. We went forward, and forward by a northerly course, and as we advanced the heat increased, which began to be intolerable to us, who were on the water, without any covering from heat or wet. Besides, we were now in the month of October, or thereabouts in a southern latitude, and as we went every day nearer the sun, the sun came also every day nearer to us, till at last we found ourselves in the latitude of twenty degrees, and having passed the tropic about five or six days before that, in a few days more, the sun would be in the zenith, 
just over our heads. Upon these considerations, we resolved to seek for a good place to go on shore again, and pitch our tents till the heat of the weather abated. We had by this time measured half the length of the island, and were come to that part where the shore, tending away to the northwest, promised fair to make our passage over to the mainland of Africa much shorter than we expected. But notwithstanding that, we had good reason to believe it was about a hundred and twenty leagues. So, the heats considered, we resolved to take harbour. Besides, our provisions were exhausted, and we had not many days' store left. Accordingly, putting in for the shore early in the morning, as we usually did, once in three or four days for fresh water, we sat down and considered whether we would go on or take up our standing there. But upon several considerations too long to repeat here, we did not like the place, so we resolved to go on a few days longer. After sailing on northwest by north, with a fresh gale at southeast about six days, we found, at a great distance, a large promontory or cape of land, pushing out a long way into the sea, and as we were exceeding fond of seeing what was beyond the cape, we resolved to double it before we took into harbour. So we kept on our way, the gale continuing, and yet it was four days more before we reached the cape. But it is not possible to express the discouragement and melancholy that seized us all when we came thither. For when we made the headland of the cape, we were surprised to see the shore fall away on the other side as much as it had advanced on this side, and a great deal more, and that in short, if we would venture over to the shore of Africa, it must be from hence, for that if we went further, the breadth of the sea still increased, and to what breadth it might increase, we knew not. While we mused upon this discovery, we were surprised with very bad weather, and especially violent rains, with thunder and lightning, most unusually terrible to us. In this pickle we run for the shore, and getting under the lee of the cape, run our frigates into a little creek, where we saw the land overgrown with trees, and made all the haste possible to get on shore, being exceeding wet, and fatigued with the heat, the thunder, lightning, and rain. Here we thought our case was very deplorable indeed, and therefore our artist, of whom I have spoken so often, set up a great cross of wood on the hill, which was within a mile of the headland, with these words, but in the Portuguese language, Point Desperation, Jesus have mercy. We set to work immediately to build us some huts, and to get our clothes dried, and though I was young, and had no skill in such things, yet I shall never forget the little city we built, for it was no less, and we fortified it accordingly, 
and the idea is so fresh in my thought that I cannot but give a short description of it. Our camp was on the south side of a little creek on the sea, and under the shelter of a steep hill, which lay, though on the other side of the creek, yet within a quarter of a mile of us, northwest by north, and very happily intercepted the heat of the sun all the after part of the day. The spot we pitched on had a little fresh water brook, or a stream, running into the creek by us, and we saw cattle feeding in the plains, in low ground east, and to the south of us, a great way. Here we set up twelve little huts like soldiers' tents, but made of the boughs of trees stuck in the ground, and bound together on the top with withies, and such other things as we could get. The creek was our defense on the north, a little brook on the west, and the south and east sides were fortified with a bank, which entirely covered our huts, and being drawn oblique from the northwest to the southeast, made our city a triangle. Behind the bank, or line, our huts stood, having three other huts behind them at a good distance. In one of these, which was a little one, and stood further off, we put our gunpowder, and nothing else, for fear of danger. In the other, which was bigger, we dressed our victuals, and put all our necessaries. And in the third, which was biggest of all, we ate our dinners, called our councils, and sat and diverted ourselves with such conversation as we had one with another, which was but indifferent, truly, at that time. Our correspondence with the natives was absolutely necessary, and our artist, the cutler, having made abundance of those little diamond-cut squares of silver, with these we made shift to traffic with the black people for what we wanted for, indeed, they were pleased wonderfully with them, and thus we got plenty of provisions. At first, and in particular, we got about fifty head of black cattle and goats, and our cook's mate took care to cure them and dry them, salt and preserve them for our grand supply. Nor was this hard to do, the salt and saltpetre being very good, and the sun excessively hot and here we lived about four months. The southern solstice was over, and the sun gone back towards the equinoctial, when we considered of our next adventure, which was to go over the sea of Zanguibar, as the Portuguese call it, and to land, if possible, upon the continent of Africa. We talked with many of the natives about it, such as we could make ourselves intelligible to, but all that we could learn from them was that there was a great land of lions beyond the sea, but that it was a great way off. We knew as well as they that it was a long way, but our people differed mightily about it. Some said it was a hundred and fifty leagues, others not above a hundred. One of our men, that had a map of the world, showed us by his scale that it was not above eighty leagues. Some said there were islands all the way to touch at, 
and some that there were no islands at all. For my own part I knew nothing of this matter, one way or another, but heard it all without concern, whether it was near or far off. However, this we learned from an old man who was blind and led about by a boy, that if we stayed till the end of August, we should be sure of the wind, to be fair, and the sea smooth, all the voyage. This was some encouragement, but staying again was very unwelcome news to us, because that then the sun would be returning again to the south, which was what our men were very unwilling to. At last we called a council of our whole body. Their debates were too tedious to take notice of, only to note that when it came to Captain Bob, for so they called me, ever since I had taken state upon me before one of their great princes, truly I was on no side, and it was not one farthing matter to me, I told them, whether we went or stayed. I had no home, and all the world was alike to me. So I left it entirely to them to determine. In a word, they saw plainly there was nothing to be done where we were without shipping, that if our business indeed was only to eat and drink, we could not find a better place in the world, but if our business was to get away and get home into our country, we could not find a worse. I confess I liked the country wonderfully and even then had strange notions of coming again to live there. And I used to say to them very often, that if I had but a ship of twenty guns, and a sloop, and both well manned, I would not desire a better place in the world to make myself as rich as a king. End of section 4 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.